0: Hi, this is Janesh. And
1: this is Pranab. You tune in to the 30 Minute Hustle podcast.
0: 30 Minute Hustle is a community of performers with a story to tell. We believe that each individual has a distinct path towards achieving their goals and are obsessed to learn about their process.
1: As a platform to bridge the gap between knowledge creators and seekers, we hope your journey will inspire you to accelerate your growth. Welcome to the network of knowledge, mindset, and practice.
2: I think success for me is just going to bed every day feeling good. I think I think that's what the world has come to right now. I'll be very, very open about the fact that it's very tough to define success. I think everybody's view on success is different. But for me, it's just going to bed feeling like, okay, I had a great day. And if you can do that every day, I think that's a successful life.
1: Today we have Bullshark on our podcast. Vikram is a true athlete beat his lifestyle, mindset and practice. He was a national level tennis player growing up who is now a lifestyle and a fitness entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of the Wild Warrior Race India, founder of a social enterprise Life is a Ball and Simple Strong Fitness Community. His way of life is a personal inspiration to many. We hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we did hosting it. welcome to the 30-Minute Hustle where we break down individual Thank you. performers in their respective fields. So tell us about yourself and your genesis of being an athlete.
2: All right. So uh, I think I think sport and just being an athlete has been something that I've been a part of pretty much all my life. Uh, I come from a family that also played sport. My dad, my granddad's played sport at a decent level. So I was kind of thrown in the deep end I mean, well, when I was four or five years old. The first uh, 15 years was just committed to tennis, just playing tennis. Uh, that was pretty much my life. Um, competed at state, national, international levels uh, till I was about 18 and a half, 19. I quit at 19 because I had a bunch of health issues. Um, went into coaching from there, worked, worked in the tennis uh, space for 10 years with some of the better athletes in India um and parallelly started building like a small small sports culture by organizing events and introducing kids to sport through school programs so that's basically my journey so far um so, i've mean, been through been through different things but i'm sure you can expand on that as we go on
0: so so did you did you always know as a as a young kid that you always wanted to do something in sport or was it something that just evolved over um how you grew and and through age?
2: I think it was something that, like I said, I was kind of thrown in the deep end at a young age. Um, so I started competing, playing tennis tournaments when I was seven and a half, eight. And um, the next 10 years after that was just tennis, 25, 30 weeks a year of playing tournaments and the rest of the weeks were just training. So um, in terms of, did I ever want this to be my profession? I can't give that answer because I don't really know but this was what I was told I was supposed to do. And I just did it. Um, and, and yeah, there were a lot of highs, a lot of lows as well. So I think I learned a lot from the tennis uh, journey that I went through and that kind of built what I'm doing today. So, so yeah, tennis, tennis, I, I wouldn't say was what I was born to do, but it definitely built me to be the person I am. Today. So how
1: was your journey different from, um, other kid growing growing along with you right how was it different how was your training different and how was your regime different and did okay. you feel extraordinary and how was it like for you growing up
2: so it was like i mean it's a full day commitment you wake up 5 a.m you go six seven on the track you're training and then you play tennis after that if you can fit in a couple of hours of school you do that and then you go back to the tennis courts in the afternoon evening um, that's when you're in Chennai and the rest of the time you're traveling, playing tournaments, kind of studying uh, parallelly and, and giving exams when they had to be given. So um, in terms of difference from other kids, I think school life wasn't that big. Um, I, I did go to school, but not as much as I could or uh, would have liked to. Um, so most of my friends in life were built on the tennis circuit. I have a few uh, school friends as well, obviously, but uh, I think school life wasn't as as big a part of my childhood as uh, the normal kid. So what were
1: your highs and lows?
2: Can you talk about that in terms um, of? In terms of highs, I think there were multiple. Um, just, just like the different age groups that you compete in. So first is the under 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. And then you go to the men's after that. Um, in terms of highs, in terms of performance, I'd say winning the Junior Nationals in 99, um that was under 14 and then the junior nationals again in 2003 under 18 so those were the highs um i did i did do well towards the end of my tennis career was i'd say the last two years i had a lot of highs in the double circuit not so much in the single circuit and that was one of the reasons i decided to quit at 19 because i didn't really see it to be too much of a sustainable uh, career um as you guys might know, tennis is a very expensive profession to be a part of. It's, I mean, daily maintenance itself costs a lot of money. So, I thought at 19 it makes sense to move into the coaching space and actually build a career around it rather than just pursue a dream that didn't seem that realistic. So, that that was probably the highs in terms of uh, performance. The lows, I'd say injuries, uh, illnesses, setbacks, that's uh, something that I faced towards the end of the tennis journey so from 16 to 19 there were a lot of injuries and setbacks but uh, those were probably the things looking back now that i learned the most from so i'd like to think that the lows also taught me something
1: so uh, looking at your career and your transition as you said tennis is an expensive sport to uh pick up and probably have your career in and the significance of money is that why you started life life as a ball and how yes. you start coaching kids early
2: on Okay, so life as a ball is a different story. Um, so like I said, I started coaching in 2006. Um, I worked in Sri Lanka for six months with the Junior Davis Cup teams there. And then I moved back to India and then started my tennis coaching journey here. So parallelly, I used to coach Monday to Friday. And uh, Saturday, Sunday, I started organizing a bunch of small weekend events, uh, which was around like the shortened uh, versions of sports. So 5 aside football, 3 aside side basketball, Six aside cricket, just for common people to come and participate and build that sporting culture. So what was happening through that was after each event, um, I had like a bunch of equipment that was going waste: the balls, the stumps. Um, I mean, just just about anything we were using. So one day, me and a couple of friends went into an orphanage um, in Adyar, um, actually on Omar, and uh, we we uh, we donated a couple of footballs to around. kids, and just seeing how much joy um, two footballs gave 40-45 kids, that that actually was where the whole Life is a Ball journey started. We were just thinking if a ball can make so much of a difference um, to so many kids, then we can do more with it. So it started off like that, and then it eventually branched into teaching underprivileged kids how to play sport the right way and building them into better Uh, personalities
0: not just athletes nice so so I I know that you are uh, uh, you've 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 started wild warrior you've started simple strong I'm sort of curious about how your entrepreneurial journey actually started was it um, right after you finished coaching you were thinking about what to do was it after life is a ball and then you thought you should do something a little more Um, yeah Break, break, break it down and, and give us like like the insights on how we came about.
2: okay so um, like I said, I was teaching tennis Monday to Friday organizing events through the weekends. So that was what I did from 2008 up to about 2012 2013 somewhere there and um, one of my friends owns a school over here called Sherwood Hall and uh, she was basically saying why didn't you come in and take a look at the, the sports scene in the school? Um, so we went in and uh, just seeing mainly the girls of, of classes 8, 9, 10. They didn't even know how to catch a ball. And that was, more than anything else, was very eye-opening because um, I'm a strong believer that, and I'm sure you guys will, 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 uh, will understand that you don't have to be an athlete-athlete, but the basic athletic ability should be a part of just about anybody, right? Yes. So in 2013, me and a couple of friends, uh, we started off the school business which was basically taking over physical education spaces in school and running customized curriculums for those schools Um, and that that in year two got got to a point where I couldn't do coaching and that because that that I mean required a little bit more of a commitment from me and uh, at the time I was working on the tour as well so I was working with a couple of players on tour I had a chat with them and they said you have to pick between this or that. You can't do both. And if you want to be good at something, you got to kind of prioritize, right? So that's when I decided that okay, I think I enjoy building something from scratch rather than you know spending time on tour, uh, traveling from place to place with the players. So I, I'd say the real journey as an entrepreneur started in 2013 when I made that decision to leave tennis coaching behind and actually uh, pursue the dream of actually promoting sport. Mm-hmm. And uh
1: I have a question around, you know, like when you're a coach and you're training yourself, how are you getting that balance? In? Because I've seen a lot of different coaches who do not prioritize their training as much as you have done so far. So how, yes. how do you strike that balance?
2: So, I mean, for me personally, I think what, what keeps me driven is competing at some level. So I've been running obstacle course races since 2016 now. And uh, that... That gives me some sort of satisfaction that work doesn't really give me. So I think I think just balancing the two kind of keeps me uh, stable. I don't want to be somebody who's doing just one thing. I don't want to be the work 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 guy or the train 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 guy. I like to do a mix of both just to keep me mentally stable. So that's that's the main reason I do both. Um, not to uh, become some sort of big athlete or anything, but it's just just that personal satisfaction of traveling, competing, seeing people, like-minded people, um, and building that community through that.
0: So why why did you actually transition from coaching to... Okay, probably a better question is, why did you transition from tennis to OCR, which is obstacle course racing?
2: Okay, so, so tennis, like I said, it ended when I was 19 and then was coaching for a bunch of years. And when I got to 2015 or so, I was going through a little bit of a tough, tough time personally. And I was uh, just talking to a friend and she was like, maybe you should start competing again. So I said, yeah, I, I think that's something that's been missing in my life. And uh, I thought, OK, so what are my options now? You know, I mean, obviously, I don't want to play tennis again because that doesn't make any sense. That would be stupid. So, so I was looking around and then somebody said, why don't you look at triathlon as an option? and uh, i said yeah sure but i'm not a very good swimmer so so i was talking to another friend she said there's this thing called the devil's circuit happening uh, it's an obstacle course race why don't you check it out so i went online checked it out and there was uh, there was an event in goa in march of 2017 so she's like if you want to go for it i'll buy you the ticket i said yeah sure it's goa and uh, this thing looks really cool right so so I trained for a good. I think I trained almost a year. I trained almost a year for that, uh, not really knowing what what I'm getting myself into because obviously it it wasn't that popular back then. So I went to Goa and I won uh, uh, won the Devil Circuit Goa, like in my first attempt. Wow! And mm-hmm. uh, and then it just led from there, man. And, I, and then I went online. I found this thing called the Spartan Race, which was all over Asia, all over the world. Went checked out the Spartan Race, and then I just fell in love with it, and yes. And that's why the Wild Warrior journey also started. It was mainly because uh seeing how fitness is is a very competitive culture abroad, I wanted to bring that back to India Um and actually educate people. That doesn't matter what type of fitness you're a part of. You could be an athlete, you could be doing CrossFit, you could be a runner, triathlete, whatever you want. But if you really want to test yourself against everybody, this is a good playground to do that. So that's the reason I started the... Uh, the and Wild Warrior journey
0: also. I, I actually like that because I very much connect with the fact that you know, um, there's an element of play when you when you do obstacle course racing, and at the same yes. time, there's fitness that you're functionally you know, um, it's fitness that you're functionally using. It's functional fitness, right? Um, so how, why 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 did yes. you start? Why did you yes. start uh, Wild Warrior? Was it because you didn't find anything um, like regionally? or was it because you wanted to design your own courses you 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 wanted more people to get into it
2: so so before i uh, started wild warrior wild warrior started 2018 jan and uh, i ran i think seven races in 2017 seven races in singapore malaysia india and uh, singapore malaysia india and thailand so when i went to these races abroad there was this culture that just just made me feel like wow this is so cool there were people who like in their 60s there were the guys who were like ridiculously fit girls are ridiculously fit competing against each other it's like a it's like a carnival party atmosphere on a sunday in in, like the mountains or by some fancy beach and i looked at it and i was like you know what this seems very doable in india as well yes it's going to take some time in terms of convincing people that this is for everybody but uh, why not start so i spoke to a couple of my friends who i was working with at the time and uh, I said, guys, this this is really cool abroad. Took them to one race in Singapore and then they were all sold. So then we came back and we started it.
1: Insane. So so you have Wild Warrior going on and you have Simple Strong going on. Tell us more about the community and the culture behind fitness. Because I myself completely believe in it. Like if there's a community to back me up, I'm dead putting myself out there. So talk about that a little bit here.
2: Okay. So so Simple Strong uh, started two thousand. 2019 now and you know ashwin uh tazan so Tarzan and me used to run a couple of races together and we always used to think about what can we do for the fitness community in chennai maybe india one day to actually educate people that staying healthy and fit is not really rocket science you don't need to follow some you know a very scientific plan or anything to be uh just regular fit so that's that's how the name also came about and uh we started off just by doing things outdoors in parks, just with friends of us. and then it slowly grew into a business. When we started, it wasn't we didn't jump into it thinking that you know that this is a business plan two years later, this is where we want to be. It was one day, one session at a time and then people seemed to love the fact that we, we were making making them feel like, you know what? anybody can stay fit, anybody can get healthy, anybody can actually make progressions with that. So that's how it started it was more just to educate people, have some fun outdoors, and then it kind of grew into a business eventually.
0: Nice. So uh, I, I I follow Simple Strong and I really love how there's such a diverse uh, group of group of people who, who come in. Yes. And yeah. um, uh, usually, you know, when someone starts a program, they would usually do it specific to one particular style. You guys sort of mix it up a lot. What is your... Um, um, what is what is the culture? What, what would you say is the culture of, of Simple Strong? Because it's very unique, right? I haven't really found a lot of um, uh, fitness communities doing that. Okay.
2: So, so one of my best friends um, used to be a professional tennis player. Uh, he was the best tennis player in the country for many years. So his fitness coach was also a very good friend of mine. He's a little older than me. So he invited me to Serbia for a month three years ago, just to train because that's when I was training for Spartan races. He's like, "Why don't you come train with us over here?" And I went there and uh, I trained with a couple of the senior coaches who who worked at the Olympic level and worked with like world champions. And they they kind of educated me, saying that you know what, unfortunately, fitness seems very glorified right now. People are coming up with these new styles and people are coming to terms and all of that but the fact of the matter is the human body hasn't changed we've been the same for the last i don't know thousand ten thousand years so the basics of fitness will always be a b c d e f it will never change from there okay small things might happen here there that could make you slightly better but the foundation is always the same um, and 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 seeing that philosophy work not just with the common man, but also with the elite athletes, the guys who won Olympic gold medals. I was thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe India needs something like this. So I came back, I spoke to Ashwin about it. We did like, I think three and a half, four months of research, studied as much as we could, and then we started. And the core philosophy behind Simple Strong is two things. One is um, when you're training, you should not get hurt. That's, that's very, very important. You can get hurt when you're competing because sometimes you're pushing yourself to that limit. It happens I mean, it, I mean, injuries happen at the highest level as well. But the common man training should not get hurt. So that's that's the philosophy, number one. And two is do what your body actually craves. So if you crave to just be stronger and lift weights, do just that. If you feel like you want to be a little bit more functional on the floor, you can do your animal flow and, and movement based on that. If you want to do calisthenics, you can do that. So your foundation is based on your preferences. There's no right and wrong. If you like to do CrossFit, do CrossFit. There's nothing wrong in doing CrossFit as long as you're not getting hurt, you know. So that's that's basically how we train our clients right now. And I think both Ashwin and me are comfortable with a certain certain uh, types of trainings, and we stick within that. And if anybody feels like they want to do something else, then we just basically tell them that okay, maybe this is not the place for you, and you can go find your own space. But the the core philosophy is fun and no getting injured because I've been injured all my life uh, when I was competing and it's not, it's not a happy place to be. So that's, I'm sure you guys know that as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's that's the core.
1: How do you gain interest from a new guy who wants to come and probably join you at simple strong? Like what are the prerequisite necessity that they need to have, at least in the mindset?
2: So, so my, first thing to them is we don't do things in terms of it's not seven days, 21 days, two weeks, three weeks, nothing. It's, it's basically one day at a time, but we're always looking long term. And if you really want to see the benefits of this program, you have to stick with it minimum six months. If you stick with it six months, yes, you might start seeing results in a couple of months. But to actually see proper benefits and feel proper benefits, it takes a certain amount of time because we don't like to do things too fast. So that's, that's the first conversation I have with people. Some people come on board. They're like, yeah, you know what? Someone's getting mad at you need to lose a little bit of fat over here. And then the answer is the same to everybody. It's like, I'm sorry, this is not our philosophy. Maybe it's somebody else's, which is fine, but we don't believe in it. If you believe in what we believe, then, then we can work together.
1: Yes. And my next question would be around training fatigue. Like, you know, like I've been training a lot on different sports through, through my life as well. So, so, so there are too many things to take on sometimes, you know. So how do you, how do you deal with training fatigue? So sometimes I do, uh, do too many things at the same time. So how do you tackle that?
2: I think that's where the job of a coach comes in, right? Uh, there's a very famous saying by a coach called Dan John, who I follow very closely. He basically says the job of a coach is two things. One is when you're working with a client to see what they need. And then you give them a little bit of what they want. So, so Dan John is, is an American strength coach who's been in the industry for the last I think, 40, 45 years. <coughs> and, and a lot of our training philosophy is based around how he teaches as well. So one of his core uh, teachings is when you're working with a client, there are two things you look at. One is what the client wants. And then you look at what the client needs. And then you find a good balance between the two. So for example, if I'm working with you and if I see you doing a little bit too much, then, then my job is to pull you back and hold you up a little bit. But if I feel like you need to go a little bit, then I let you go. So my job is to control how much you go. Right. So I think, I think how to maintain that balance is two things. One is to be very conscious about. Just the overall feel. Am I feeling fatigued? Am I feeling burnt out? Am I enjoying it? You need to look at the mental side of things. Then you also look at how the body is responding to that. And it's a journey, man, because for some people training three days a week works. Some people training five days a week works. Some people need three days and five days on like alternate weeks. So finding the balance, one size doesn't fit all. You need to find what works best for you.
0: It's actually very well put, uh, uh, Vikram. But that's uh that's nice for you to uh to sort of imbibe that do you try and imbibe that level of awareness into people so they are also sort of aware um because i think that is very important i think people honestly feel that they just need to train all the time and they don't listen to their body yes um and i i listen i I've, i've heard your trash talk tuesdays and how you talk about how you need to listen to your body and um yeah, I think that's that's super important. So, how, how do you go about your routines? What do you do? You're, you're a coach. You're also training on your body. What do you do? How do you mix things up?
2: I like to train four four times a week. I think if I can if I can get to the end of the week and if I look back and if I feel like I've trained four times a week, that's a good week. But more importantly, um, how I feel in terms of my daily sleep. I think as I get older those things are taking a little bit more preference. I'm going to be 36 this year. So sleeping properly, uh, feeling good, feeling feeling refreshed. And I'll give you guys an example. I was supposed to run yesterday, but I didn't sleep too well the night before. So I just took the whole day off yesterday. I'm running this evening. So so it's just about listening to the body. And that's a process that you're not going to learn in one week, two weeks. It, that, that takes some time, right? Exactly, yeah. So... So with the people that we are working with, it's a constant effort to educate them that you need to learn how to one understand how your body and mind is feeling, and then you treat it accordingly. Um, and and you are responsible for your body end of the day. So your choices, your decisions, your lifestyle will define how you feel. So if you're going to be stupid with that, then it's your fault. If you're going to be smart with that, then it's your uh, I mean it's your good work. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, Vikram. Tell us more about your daily routine. I mean, how your day starts okay. and what you okay. eat, and uh, okay. how do you how do you live through that?
2: Okay. Um, my day starts early. I think I've I've woken up early pretty much all my life. We're starting off with tennis, so, so so it's kind of a habit to wake up early. So I wake up anywhere between five and six a.m. If I have if I have a class early in the morning, I obviously keep an alarm. But if I don't have a class, I try and wake up without an alarm just based on how the body feels. Um, and I train, like I said, four to five times a week, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening, also based around work. If I have a bunch of meetings scheduled in the morning, I train in the evening or, or, or the opposite. Um, in terms of eating, I think, I think interestingly over the last uh, year, I've been, um, I've been following a little bit of a, different eating routine i've been trying like intermittent fasting for a for the last one year i think it's been a little bit more than a year now just to see how it feels you know and not 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 to see any results and all of that but just to see how it feels and i've understood that eating two days uh, two times a day works well for me so i eat a late breakfast and i eat an early dinner so that's basically how it works um, late breakfast would be 10 10 30 11 and early dinner would be. Su- Somewhere between 7 and 8, 8.30, unless you're going out and then it changes. But uh, as much as possible, when I'm at home, I try to eat home food. Um, don't really follow any diet as such. But I think the only rule I'd like to put across is try and keep the processed foods out. I think as a kid playing tennis, we didn't really know all of this. So well, processed foods was a big part of growing up. And that that directly showed in terms of what was happening with my health when I was like early twenties. I was having a bunch of health issues. It, it was just purely based on my lifestyle before over the last five six years. So I learned from that, and I think over the last three four years I've corrected that. So no processed foods, and uh, uh, like late breakfast, early dinner. That's that's basically the rules for eating.
0: I'm sure you you. Um I think any athlete at some point of time has some niggle or some sort of injury that happens. Do you have any, any, any hacks, any recovery techniques that you
2: specifically do? I think, I think number one is sleep. Sleep Sleep is when most of the repair usually happens. So if you don't sleep properly, the next day you feel, feel, feel pretty out of it. Right. So I think it starts with sleep. Then it goes to hydration. Then it goes to nutrition and then exercise. These four. Mixed in with like a nice, uh, balanced mindset, which is also important. You don't want to be too stressed in the head. Then it kind of shows in your body. So especially with how we live right now, like phones have become such a big part of our lives. So there's always like notifications coming in, there's something happening somewhere that you're being notified about. Right. So, so yeah, just maintaining a good balance of sleep, hydration, nutrition, exercise, stretching and mental. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that's a part of, uh, That's a part of exercise, I'd like to think. I think uh, stretching, if you're doing yoga or tai chi or something more relaxing for the body, that's also good for you like twice, thrice a week. I've been doing yin yoga for the last uh, four months now. I feel great. So I'm still experimenting. I don't like to say it's good or bad before I actually try it for a longer period of time. So Vikram,
1: talk about your mindset being an athlete. Like, you know, I understand uh, because I apply whatever I learned on the field, playing rugby at, at various levels at my work as well. So it gives me an athlete mindset and an edge over whatever I'm doing occasionally, right? So how's your mindset designed like, and how do you approach problems and uh, how do you approach uh, to get a solution out of these problems you face? Is it very different because you've been training for a very long time?
2: Okay. So I, I mean, the number one thing that sport has probably taught me over the years is uh, winning and losing is part of the game um because as as tennis players like unless you win the tournament you will lose every week right uh, and if you're playing singles doubles you're probably losing twice a week so that over the years you you look back and you understand that a lot of the times the result might not be in your hands but what is in your hands is the fact that you can actually go and give it a good effort so as long as the effort I feel is like, you know, Okay, we gave our best, whether it's an event we organize or whether it's a school program or or whatever it might be or or, or just a one hour fitness class. As long as we feel like we prepared properly, we executed properly, then then the result will kind of take care of itself. And then you learn from that. And if you want to better yourself the next time you go back and you change those small things that uh, that might have like resulted in a bad result for you. So just to summarize that, I think it's more about just understanding that uh, failure is a part of the journey. It will be a part of the journey. Don't let it like bog you down too much. You just got to keep giving 100% on a daily basis and try and enjoy the process as much as possible. Because if you're not enjoying it, it's not worth it. How much of a money you're making, it doesn't really matter.
1: And uh, what's ahead of you right now with the money? What is success for you and what's ahead of you right now?
2: I think success for me is just going to bed every day, feeling good. I think, I think that's what the world has come to right now. I'll be very, very open about the fact that it's very tough to define success. I think everybody's view on success is different. But for me, it's just going to bed feeling like, okay, I had a great day. And if you can do that every day, I think that's a successful life. Uh, in terms of what's ahead, um, May doesn't look too promising. It doesn't look too promising at all. I think May is just about actually relaxing a little bit, maybe training a little bit uh, to get get a little fitter, maybe. Um, in terms of work with Wild Warrior, we have we have a couple of races planned for July. So we're, we're looking to do something in the mountains in July. One obstacle course race, one adventure race. Um, simple, strong, we might be setting up physical space in Chennai. Uh, oh, wow. We just... We're just finalizing things for that. So hopefully June, July, we'll have like a physical space that people can actually come and train with us. Um, and I think the most exciting bit is Life as a Ball. We have a couple of really cool projects uh, where we're actually going to go into villages and set up small programs for the kids there. So that's something that uh, we'll probably use the whole of May to work on. It's called Gift a Ball, where we're going to basically adopt small villages across India where every kid between ages 8 and 12 gets a football and a kit. And every weekend, we're going to have free sports classes for them. So, let's, let's, uh, let's hope for the best with that. So, uh, so, what are
1: the competitions you're training for which is coming up?
2: Again, uh, right now, nothing. Since uh, because of COVID, I think there's absolutely no clarity in terms of when we can travel, what's going to happen. But as of now, uh, there are two events. One is, uh, there's a Spartan race happening in Malaysia on the, I think, 6th or 7th of September that we just got an invite for a few days ago. So keeping that as the goal, I'm going to start training now. So that gives me a good four months to set up like at least a solid base for that. Um, and, and in November, there's the Asian obstacle course championship in Philippines, which, which is, uh, which is something I did well in a couple of years ago. So. Hopefully, go and uh, do well again.
1: Amazing! I, I love that competition, which is the center of your life because I I totally relate with it. Because I was competing yeah. in rugby, now I'm 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 kind of like thinking, you know, I cannot take the toll of being on the field continuously. Kind of now I want to compete in other sports, right? Because a lot of significance there. So I would also like to ask you about the policies as a nation we are, we have around sports and how do you see that uh, dwelling out, and what do you think should be the future for Indian sports uh, policies
2: coming out? See, I think the number one thing that any good sporting country should be looking at is to set up a good sporting structure among schools. If you look at Australia, if you look at the UK, you look at America, the school sporting system is very, very strong. Um, the sporting culture within schools is very strong. Hence, there are so many more kids playing sport in a structured way, which 20 years later will will bring about better athletes, right? So that's where it starts, at the grassroots. And the big problem in India is, uh, especially uh, given the size of India, people want, I wouldn't say fast results, but short-term results. Nobody is willing to actually plan 15, 20, 25, 30 years ahead. Um, so if if India can actually look at planning slightly more ahead, if we can actually have sports people running sports bodies in India, that Absolutely. would work yeah. wonders because yeah. right now, if you look at tennis, if you look at cricket, okay, let's leave cricket aside, but look at football, most of the the uh, governing bodies of these sports are being run e- either by politicians or by businessmen, um, which, which is fine because they have the power to bring in the money, but I think they have to be joined by somebody who has been very, very... Uh, successful in the sport and passionate about the sport, so the decision on the sport side of things has to be taken by sportsmen. If not, it's not going to work. Yes, and I think uh, sports inclusivity
1: is a very big problem in our country because sportsmen yes. don't do not get into the structure of the business ultimately. And yes. as you said, a businessman is on the top or a politician is on is on the top. And and I do see that changing a little bit in India because there's openness of digital coming into uh, sports, you know, where you can see. Uh, talents coming in across different regions of our country so that's getting highlighted but what do you think about the inclusion and inclusivity of women athletes athletes from the grassroots levels so where do you see that going do you see a lot of that happening in tennis or any other sports in precise
2: see the sports that i can say that i'm kind of familiar with is football Um, i'm uh, very familiar with tennis in the country um, I'm decently familiar with the athletic space as well. Um, in terms of inclusion, I think I think that is that's that's a much bigger problem. That's not a sports problem. That's a problem we face across different uh, parts of society. But if if the coaches in the system, whether it's a tennis coach or a football coach, can actually be educated and just told this is how it works in the successful countries. Not really uh, looking at America or Germany, but even if you look at a place like Africa, where uh, the facilities are not great, they don't have money. Um, Okay, they might be physically slightly superior, not slightly, but very superior. But the main thing that brings about athletes is the fact that there's a culture. And culture, putting in simple terms, is if if Lady Andal is playing versus uh, Sishia tomorrow, if, uh, I don't know, the girls' uh, basketball team is playing with each other, there'll be 300 people watching abroad. Yeah. And just playing for that jersey, playing for the badge feels more passionate. The kids want to try harder. They want to go for training because they know that if I don't go to train, 300 people are going to throw eggs on my head. You know? That doesn't happen over here. Here, if you place sport in schools you're like ah okay fine he's playing sport he's wasting time (laughs) yeah okay if that guy becomes an asian games medalist or something they're like oh wow you know what he's my friend also but they didn't (laughs) say that when he was eight years old yeah you know yes absolutely yeah so that's basically where i feel the change has to be is how people look at
1: yes and I think that that has to come from a very government perspective and government, uh, uh, you know, like a holistic approach to this. Cause, you know, I see a lot of athletes who just train to get a government job, right? They, they come yes. up, they train, they become a police or, uh, uh somewhere in the railways. That's it. They're gone.
2: Yes. They sit on yes. a desk
1: job. They don't give back to the sport. So the yes. athletes needs to be compensated throughout their life the way they're getting taken care of. So that is something that policies need to change and probably, uh, the country itself has to take on a different view on sports and probably looking at Olympics and seeing whether you know we can add more medals on the on the bank here. So I think it's a holistic change that needs to be addressed. And I'm glad you guys yeah. are doing something for that.
2: I mean, we can only do our bit, right? There are so many yeah. people across the country doing their bit. Like you said, the government has to step in. The government is the most powerful uh, source. But if the government does not want to step in and we can't sit and wait our whole lives for the government to do something, so as individuals, as individual bodies, we can do a bit. And if you look around India, there are many people trying to make positive change in sport. If you look at like Reliance is doing stuff, I mean, it's debatable, but they're doing a lot. JSW uh, is doing a lot for sport. They've set up a really nice facility. Tata's has been doing a lot over the years. And there are a lot of smaller players like us also who are doing things on a much smaller scale um hopefully things change uh, I, I don't i don't uh, i don't want to say they will never change but uh, i think i, I don't I, know man i feel I, like the next 15 20 years is crucial i
0: yeah. also think i i also think that more than government it's also a, a societal mindset approach and yes, and and i, and I completely I, I, I mean i work out and people think i'm extremely fit whereas i don't think i am fit enough for myself but people have this inhibition that they think that uh, they need to be a particular level of fitness for them to start, which is, uh, so I want you to tell someone. So if someone here is listening to us and is, does not have any sort of background in sport, wasn't really exposed to it too much or any sort of fitness, what would you tell them? You know, they they shouldn't actually think of having any sort of inhibition to start any sort of fitness. Yeah.
2: Yes. Okay. So, so number one would be never compare yourself with somebody else. Um, the only person you can compare yourself with is who you were yesterday versus who you are today. Um, so as long as that mentality is put into people's heads, whether you've been training for 10 years or you're starting off today, you can be better than what you were yesterday. So that's that's something that I like to always tell people is it doesn't matter what your background is, what your base is. But if you start today and if you actually give a good effort today, you'll be better tomorrow. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's uh, I mean, easier said than done, easier said than done. But I think like everybody in the fitness space has to speak this language. Um, don't look at people. It's a bit like if I look at, I don't know, if I look at one of the say, better athletes, I'm not even close. You know, I'm not even close. I probably will never be close and I don't want to be close. But that doesn't mean I can't give my best. Doesn't mean you can't give your best. So the same thing goes for somebody who's a beginner. Start slow, make it a part of your lifestyle. Do it on a daily basis, be conscious about it, try and enjoy it. And then the magic will take care of itself.
0: Awesome. Uh, Vikram, we usually have this question that we ask all our guests. So what is the... What is a phrase or or a line that you would like to put up if you had a billboard and you wanted to tell people?
2: I think being a sports promoter, being a sports promoter, something that I thought about many years ago is uh, sports Sport is a bit like, like food, right? If you cook it properly and if you cook good ingredients well, the dish will taste good. So if sport is taught the right way, it will make a world of a difference to kids, to adults, to just about anybody. And it's not just a sport; it's the same thing with fitness as well. So, if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, if you're anybody who's trying to make somebody else better, you should always be looking at yourself uh, and trying to see how what what best dish can I serve. And if you can serve a good dish, everybody will enjoy it. Uh,
0: how how do people reach out to uh, Simple Strong and and uh, Wild Warrior?
2: Just Instagram, Instagram, Instagram uh, yeah, Instagram. Simple, strong India. Wild warrior race. Life is a ball. Um, awesome. So yes, I think Instagram is like the. It's become the marketplace now. So <laughs> everything is there. Perfect.
0: Thanks, Ekram. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Vikram. Welcome. So we have come to the end of this session. I mean, of the session, and I'm so, so glad fun. that you made time for us. And this no, is a subject it. that I really uh, connect to, and Janish connects to as well. And thank you so yes. much for doing what you do, and wish you all the best. Thank you so much,
2: guys. Thanks cool. for having me and and keep it going, man.
1: Thank you for listening to the 30-Minute Hustle podcast. You can follow us on Instagram for all our latest updates. Until next time, signing off. This is Pranab and my co-host, Janish.